I wasn't born a speaker. I wasn't born, a, you know, a, a coach or a leader or a CEO. I picked up these habits through 50, 45 years of observation. I'm an observation expert. That's what I am. And, and I'm a mimic expert, you know? And um, so living with someone like that gave me a 30 day, in, you know, around the clock insight into one person. And I'm, I am 3000 of those people in one. You're listening to part two of my amazing interview with Jesse Isler, one of the great entrepreneurs of our day. If you haven't yet listened to part one, be sure to check that one out first. Now, without further ado, here's part two with the amazing Jesse Isler. You got four kids. I got five kids. As a parent, almost nothing makes you happier than to do nice things for your kids. We have a rugby team, you and I. <laughs> we, we, uh, it, it's, it's. There's nothing like being a parent. That's my life's work. I mean, I'm devoted to a whole bunch of other things. But as a parent, when someone does something nice for your child, you're really indebted to that person for um, ever. For my son's bar mitzvah, I'm from Detroit. We're huge Detroit fans, Red Wings, Lions, Tigers, Pistons. And my son had these fat heads up in his, these uh, stickers of baseball players up in the room. And Happy Walters, one of my close friends from college, represented uh, a bunch of the Tigers. So we had Miguel um, Cabrera, and I said, hey, can you get me a signed ball for Charlie? And what he did is he, he, he got the signed ball, but he um, delivered a jersey with it and a Justin Verlander baseball. And it's like when you do things like that that are unexpected, um, and he didn't want anything in return, I, it's – for those listening and are looking for a way in, and I'm not saying you should go do this on, on a proactive basis, but it's an interesting strategy. If it, you know, you said go stand out and go do something that will attract somebody's uh, attention where you can get in the door. I think that's overlooked where you can actually look into someone's bio, look at their interests and just that's, that's a, a lifetime value of goodwill that will never go away. Yeah, I love happy too. He says hello, as does my friend Mr. Milet, who I spoke to this morning. We're old friends. Um, they both think the world of you. Let's talk about another one of your home runs. Can you tell us about your trip to Jamaica and Brazil, the 100-mile race you ran, your meeting with Coca-Cola, which you touched about in a minute, and how hanging out at Matt Damon's house helped you with that big win? Um, yeah, the, um, I think you're, I think you're talking about how I got into the coconut water business. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, again, there's a bunch of different, uh, different things there. Um, I think when I started out, I, as an entrepreneur, cause we're talking entrepreneurship, um, you know, you're always looking about for ways to make something better or create something new. And I was a runner. Um, I was signing up for a hundred mile race, did a lot of research around hydration and nutrition. If you're going to run a hundred miles, what do you eat? What do you drink? And I stumbled upon coconut water in 2006. 
and uh, finished the race powered by coconut water and went on a deep dive into into how to market and sell coconut water. And um, I realized, see, as an entrepreneur, part of what you want to do is figure out how to get to A to B the fastest. And I realized that I couldn't build this and scale a coconut water company myself. It, the learning curve was too big and I didn't have the time. The category was starting to go. So I ended up partnering with a company called Zico, Z-I-C-O, which was early stage. Maybe they were doing 6 million top line. And, um, and we sold that to Coca-Cola two years later. But um, the, the way that I discovered the product was just by following like my passions and thinking like, you know, what, what's missing, what would make me bet things better, et cetera. And, um, yeah. So many entrepreneurs I know, they come in for pitches or they're thinking about their future in money is a number one goal. And I'd say of the hundreds of interns I've had throughout the years, I said, let's rank what's important to you in your careers. And it does shift a little bit when you get older and you've been in the workforce, but even people in their thirties and forties who's I've coached and I've mentored, they always list money as their top reason. And in, in terms of kids in college, it's 99%. They think it's money, money, money. What's your advice to those who are in that situation? They're younger, they're coming up in their late twenties and thirties. I mean, we all need money, right? To live and we all want nice things and nice home and cars and pay for our kids college. But so many people are consumed by it as a number one goal. What's your advice to them? I think that money's obviously very important and is a great motivator. Um, but I think that when you're starting out, a bigger decision is to focus on is the product quality service of what you're doing and the, really the why behind you're doing. We hear that all the time, the why behind you're doing whatever you're doing and how, what's your enthusiasm and passion towards what you're doing. I think are, are also included because at the end of the day, if it's just money and it gets really hard, the money doesn't matter as much. But if it's really important to you, you can usually power through things. So I think it's important to have money on your radar. I mean, uh, I think it's okay. I wouldn't say it's a, I don't think that's like you also hear people say like, oh, no, it's not. No, it is <laughs> like you're working. You want to have something to show for it and you want it to be able to um, like for me, it wasn't the money. It was like what the, what what the money would get me, which is. Because it was, if it was the money, I'd be working a lot harder now. I'd be doing more now to keep getting more and more and more money. It was always what the money would get me, which was time to do the things that I love to do. And once I got that, everything kind of changed. And I took my foot off the gas in a major way. Like my foot is like way off the gas pedal. Going into it for me, it wasn't money was definitely one of the things but for me, it was more like proving myself. Like my driver was just like, I had so many, you know, you you know, you can't do it kind of moments from people that finally I was like, man, I like it was competitive. It was competitive, and it, the the measuring stick for me was never money because there's always going to be people richer than you, more successful than you. I never walk into the room and like this guy's richer than me, so I feel like inferior in any way. It was more like the measuring stick for me was always experiences, always. It was always like, how did I get there? And what the journey was to me, 
like my journey was so much cooler. I don't want to say it like that, but like um, unique or whatever. It, it was always like I was able, while I was doing Marquee Jet, I was able to run marathons and, and ride my bike in really cool races and uh, participate in incredible adventures while I was doing it. So like when I look back from me, what I'm most proud of is really how I did it, not what I got. But I don't want to say that money, like money can, you know, for a lot of people, if that's what's driving you, like I have friends that are like, they are so driven by money. And for them, it works. It works as far as like getting, you know, a a bigger bank account Um, because like that's their fuel. Like they're competitive. They're, They're like all about money. They're sharp. They're sharper with the pencil than I am. I'm not super sharp with the pencil. I'll let things like, you know, like to me, I'd rather get beat 10 or 20%, but have 10 or 20% more time. So, um, but there are people that use that as a, and it's a really good fuel for them. We've talked about people who fear failure. You didn't, most people I know do, and it's a motivation for them not to go forward with something that they have an idea or a passion for. They fear failing because they're embarrassed. We already talked about that. And they don't have the courage to try something new. Can you tell us about your son Laser's experience with baseball? The fly ball that was hit to them, that was hit to him with bases loaded in the Little League Championship game, and how it was for you watching him play. What are the life lessons from that story that we should all learn? Yeah, I mean, my son decided he wanted to play baseball late in here in Atlanta where kids by the time they're 11 or 12 are really good at baseball. And I didn't want to take that away from him. So we played a season of baseball and, you know, it was hard because the kids were so good and he was just starting out. And we got to a situation where he was in the outfield for the championship game with bases loaded and two outs up a run and the ball got hit to him. If he catches it, he's a hero. If he drops it, we lose. And, um, and he dropped it, but which was really hard for him, for me, for the team. It was just a big moment. But, you know, the, I always tell people, like, if you want to have an exceptional life, you got to put yourself in exceptional situations. He was in an exceptional situation. It doesn't always work out. But, like, if you want to be a hero, you got to have the bat. You got to be at the plate. You have to take a shot, you know, and he chose to be a participant in the game in life versus a spectator. Like, even though he didn't have a lot of experience, even though you might not have a lot of experience in business or whatever, he chose to try it anyway. And, you know, a lot of good things will happen when you do that, when you put yourself in that situation versus like, oh, I'm just going to spectate and then be critical. Like, oh, you couldn't even, your business failed. Like you didn't even try. Yeah. You dropped it. Yeah. I dropped it, but like I'm out, I'm on the field. Like you got to be on the field. So I'm really proud of him for, you know, despite having not a lot of experience in putting himself out there. Along the way, we all meet people who change our lives. 17 years ago, you met a former Navy SEAL in an ultra marathon race. You were part of a five-man team. He was running alone and was eating protein powder in a box of crackers throughout the race. He's a Big deal now. He wasn't back then. He coached, <clears throat> he's coached people like LeBron and Kobe. There's no social media then. No one knew who he was. And frankly, at that time, no one knew who you were uh, either. You were intrigued. You cold called him. Can you tell us about 
David Goggins, why you invited him to live with your family for a month, and then what are the three biggest lessons you learned working with him? Man, this is like a masterclass. With like the, the questions are like, uh, you prepared, Randall. You are prepared for this. You're We're going to talk the about extreme preparation, which has been the mantra of my career. It's something that I'm going to be doing some corporate paid public speaking on. I'm writing a book by the same topic, but we're going to get into that in a little more detail in about five minutes. Thank you for saying that. They always say that, you know, surround yourself with like-minded people. I've always been attracted to people that weren't like-minded because I could just feel like I could learn so much more. I really am interested in people that are great at what they do in areas that interest me. So I met Goggins at a race, at a running race in like 2006. And I was intrigued by, first of all, anybody that could run 100 miles at that time, because there were probably only about 400 Americans that had done it. And, um, but anyway, I, yeah, I invited him to come stay with my family, with me. And, um, and he did. And, um, I think the lessons, I mean, there's a lot of lessons, but like I'm a creature of a compilation of the habits that I've learned from people that I look up to Uh, at Marquee Jet. I was very curious about the people we were flying with great entrepreneurs, CEOs, athletes, entertainers of how they live their life, their habits. I would ask a lot of questions. So to be around someone like that and just get an opportunity to ask, pick their brain about what time they get up and like what time they like, how they react to certain things. Um, to me, those are the best lessons, not like work hard. I mean, everybody knows you have to work hard, try hard. Um, so those are the things that I, I really gain the most from him and from everybody that's come, I've crossed in my life that's really good at something. You know, like I'm, I'm interested in the habits of the highly successful people. And I've been around, I think the gift that I got when I was born into this world is somehow, don't ask me how, I've been around really talented, impressive, high-functioning humans um, through Marquee Jack, customers, meetings, mentors, athletes. And I've gotten to just pick their brains on their habits. And I'm a compilation reel of that, literally, of just things that I've learned along the way. And not just things that they've said. You know, like you can learn a lot watching someone speak by the way they use their hands, by the gestures they use, by the way they change their voice pausing, like all of that. I didn't grow up with that. I wasn't born a speaker. I wasn't born, a, you know, a, a coach or a leader or a CEO. I picked up these habits through 55 years of observation. I'm an observation expert. That's what I am. And, and I'm a mimic expert, you know? And um, so living with someone like that gave me a 30 day, you know, around the clock insight into one person. And I'm, I am 3000 of those people in one. Are you looking for your next great gift to surprise a friend, colleague, or loved one? Bliss Beaches makes the perfect gift. This best-selling bright and beautiful coffee table book by Randall Kaplan features stunning drone photography from exotic beach locations around the world. It's the perfect housewarming gift, a great addition to any home or office, and a fun and creative alternative to bringing a bottle of wine to somebody's house for dinner. Bliss Beaches is available for purchase on Amazon, where it has glowing reviews and a five-star rating. Get your next amazing gift and order a copy of Bliss Beaches by clicking the link on our show notes. I've heard a lot of people speak over the years 
and I was on a webinar with you with, I guess there were probably 500 people on it. You told the story about the power of the spoken word. And I believe in that too. I, as part of my coaching, the most commonly asked question in the world is how are you? And it's something 99% of the people, more than that, 99.9% of the people in the world get wrong because they say, good, I'm good. It's so, which is a 3.0. And I understand that a lot of people don't care about a 3.0 in college, but in the real world, I think you should get a 4.0. And there's no reason why you can't get a 4.0 because saying I'm awesome versus I'm good, there's just a material difference in the response and how people perceive it. And right out of the gate, you're just starting at a different level. People like oral responses subconsciously or consciously that really work. It sets the tone for the meeting. You've talked about the power of the spoken word as well as being very important. And I heard this amazing story from you. Tell us about Chad Wright and the 74 mile marker. Yeah, I was just running a hundred, uh, a ultra marathon and I got deep into the race and I was running with a friend of mine who's a Navy SEAL. And he was just emphasizing to me the importance of the words that would come out of my mouth as opposed to being like, this sucks, I'm exhausted, really staying positive with with the words that we use. And, um, you know, I wouldn't minimize how important it is when people say, I can't do this, we don't come from money or I'm not a good marketer, I'm not good at this, I'm not good at that. When you speak those words, you give them a lot of power. And that's what he was emphasizing to me, the importance of really like convincing yourself you know, um, even people that say like, oh, I'm gonna try to run the New York marathon this year. Try, like you're gonna try versus I'm running, you know, I'm gonna finish the marathon in November, the New York marathon will be my first marathon. So like really talking things into existence is important. And I already knew that, but sometimes in your lowest moments or really low moments, you need, you know, the, the reinforcement. And, and that's what Chad was talking about. I mean, when I think about running a hundred mile race, I think that's just, I, I don't even know how a human body can handle that. And I just can imagine the agony that you're in for whatever mile that you're in, but 74 miles and just cranking away and hurting and want to bitch and moan from that exact moment, Jesse, in my workouts, when I get tired, or feel like my muscles are burning or my stomach is killing me from doing the bicycler and I'm trying to go to maybe a hundred from 60. I, I think of you and I think of that moment actually. And I think of that mile marker and I said, shit, man, you got to keep pushing yourself because if you don't, you're never going to succeed, whether it's in your workout or in your professional life and frankly, in your personal life as well. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I agree. I appreciate that. So you have various mantras in your life that I, I find very interesting. Another one of yours is remember tomorrow. What does that mean? Um, yeah. I mean, I try to keep, I, I, I love mantras. I'm not like crazy with them, but I do have one remember tomorrow. And that, that just means like, I, I saw it on someone's arm as a tattoo. And it just means about that when you have a split second decision, big or small, Think about how that decision will impact you tomorrow rather in the moment. So if you want to drop out of the marathon at mile 18, that's, yeah, because in the moment you want to, but how's that going to make you feel tomorrow? You can't get it back. Um, you know, you want to go out during the holiday season now and drink tequila and take your shirt off and wave it around and be the life of the party. That's fun. 
until you walk into the office the next day. So remember tomorrow is, is a really good mantra when you have a decision to make on which way to take that decision. We talk about as part of our success, when we pitch people, when we want to meet people, even as persisting through an, an initial win, you want another sale, or even if you don't get something, sending people a handwritten note. And I've been telling people for years, there's such a difference. Emailing somebody, thank you, that's easy. We can all do it. And even a well-written one, maybe it could take two or three minutes. Usually they take 15 seconds. Thanks for meeting with me. I enjoyed it. Let's keep in touch. What is the value, actual value of a handwritten letter? And the more and more I coach people on this, they really don't do it. So how important is it? Well, I think it's an important tool that you have in your toolbox that's underutilized. I think when you write a handwritten letter, first of all, like the intent is, is, is different than just like hitting send, takes a minute. We have to like get a stamp, lick it, the envelope, go to the mailbox, write it. Like it's the energy is a lot different than just sending an email. It breaks through the clutter. A lot of people check their own mail. Not a lot of people check their email or check their DMs. Maybe they have an assistant, but like people read their own mail. And I think it's just more memorable. So for me, it's been a really good tool. I still do it to this day. In fact, I have a whole bunch of cards right here that are going to be going out today that I'm going to do um, that I have to get done today. Um, but yeah, so it's still a, 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 an important thing. And look, I just stick with things that have worked. I've been, I've been writing handwritten letters for 30 years and it's worked for me. People remember it. They still come up to me. So it's still part of my process. You just mentioned people remember it for years. Here's another one of my coaching tactics and the way to stand out. People have meetings today on Zoom, especially during the pandemic. It's normal. They're not going out for meetings. And what I tell people to do is write the handwritten note. But if you're in LA and they're in New York, FedEx the note, because you'll be the only one in the history of their lives to FedEx a note, and that person is gonna remember you forever and ever and ever. People say, well, it's expensive, $20. Well, my question to them is, is it worth $20 for them to remember you forever and to stand out among, as you said, all the clutter? I mean, Citadel, if you wanna work in the financial services business or at the best hedge fund in the world. They got 29,000 summer applications last year. How, how many people were FedExing thank you letters to the recruiters there? Take six rounds of uh, interviews to get a job. So I, I think it's always really, really, really important to stand out. And that's a simple one and it costs very little money. And then people say, you know, $20, I can't do it. You know, I'm not gonna write five of those. How much is your time worth? How much did you prepare for that job interview? or the meeting, I mean, we're, we're talking $3 per hour for the value of your time to do something that is, is precious and valuable for the rest of your life. So let's talk about preparation. My topic is extreme preparation. It's something that not a lot of people have focused on in a specific way. When someone prepares maybe one hour for something, sometimes I'll prepare 10, 20 for one pitch that I had for one meeting with Marriott for my beaches company, Sandy. We built the largest beach resource in the world, the Yelp for beaches. We've cataloged more than 100 categories of data from more than 100,000 beaches in 212 countries. We had this meeting with Marriott. There were five people on the meeting. We prepared probably 150 hours for that meeting. 
Um, and by the way, we didn't get what we wanted, but we learned a ton and it was not a waste. How has extreme preparation been a very important factor in the success of your career? Um, I think when I was young, I mean, when I was younger, I think that it was very important, but also equally as important was the ability to pivot. Uh, when some, when I was prepared for something and it didn't go the way I thought it would, I think that now I can get away with not being as prepared just because I have more of a track record and um, I'm more selective. Where when I was younger, it wasn't about being selective. It was about like survival. You know what I mean? I, like I didn't have flexibility to, oh, if this doesn't work, I'll go to it. I had to nail the meetings. I had to nail the meetings, so I had to be more prepared. So it's, it's played a big role. And, you know, you learn as you, as you get older what preparation really means. I think a lot of people prepare can, t can prepare wrong versus preparing right. They think they're prepared or they come in and, and, and they don't, they're telling maybe what they think the people want to hear versus asking, but um, obviously super important. So for me, what I've developed is a five-step system to extreme preparation. Prepare to plan is the first step of the five. Can you tell us about the big-ass calendar and also tell us as part of that about Kevin's rule? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a planner. I think that um, I, as we go into the new year, I like to put as much of my – as much as I can. This is actually – this is – are we on video? Yes, we're on video. Yeah. So this is my entire 2024 already kind of laid out on one big ass calendar. Um, all my trips are in orange, speeches in different colors, yellow are my races. So like I'm a big believer that if um, – yeah, it's important to plan your life and the stuff that you want to do before, before work because work's always going to fill in. But if you don't do that, then very often – you could fill your whole year up with work and Zoom calls and you don't have a lot to show for it. Um, so one of the things that I do is what you call Kevin's rule is um, basically every other month I do something I normally went to done on a weekend. So like instead of watching the Georgia football game, I might go take my kids fishing or go to a, a show or something because just at a minimum, and I got that from my friend Kevin, but just at a minimum, if you, it, you know, if, if I can't do something every other month that I want to do my life work life models out of whack. But if I do do that, I put six mini adventures on my calendar that I wouldn't have had. If I live another 50 years, that's 300 adventures I wouldn't have had that I just banked into my kind of life resume. So, um, yeah, I have this thing. I actually sell it the big ass calendar, but I use it as a tool to map out and track my year. This episode of In Search of Excellence is brought to you by Sandy.com. S-A-N-D-E-E.com. We're a Yelp for beaches and have created the world's most comprehensive beach resource by cataloging more than 100 categories of information for every beach in the world, more than 100,000 beaches in 212 countries. Sandy.com provides beachgoers around the world with detailed, comprehensive, and easy-to-use information to help them plan their perfect beach getaway at home and abroad and to make sure you're never disappointed by a beach visit again. 
Plan the perfect beach trip today by visiting sandy.com. That's www.sandee.com. The link is in our show notes. Stay sandy, my friends. Successful people I know are really busy, right? You've got four kids. You're very successful. Your wife is successful. I've done okay. My wife is very busy with our kids. She's involved in a lot of things. And as someone who loves to give back like I do and as you do, it's hard, it's hard to say no. But I think there is a tremendous amount of value. At some point, you have to say no. So you said something that's very interesting. I never thought it this way. You said we live our life on defense sometimes. How important is it to carve out time for your family and for things that are important to you. And it's so hard for people. Why is it so hard for people to do this? To say no? Yeah, to say no. Oh, you know, Jesse, you know, let's have uh, dinner tonight. I want to talk to you about this. And you got four kids at home. I mean, my family dinners are sacrosanct. I don't mess with my family dinners. I never have. If it's something, that, especially when they were younger and I was uh, divorced and I was divorced for nine years. I was home with my kids every single night. I drove them to school. I never traveled when I had my kids. But in today's day and age, you know, as you get more and more successful, you get more and more busy. It's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, I think at, again, like in my twenties, it was a time for me to say yes, because I needed to, and I wanted to network and be out there. And in my forties and fifties, it's, I've learned to say no, people don't want to say no, because they don't want to disappoint other people. And um, you know, someone asks for 20 minutes, 30 minutes of your time, and they, it, they think it's not a big deal, but cumulatively those 20, 30 minutes can have a tremendous impact. So I've gotten really good at saying no. Um, and also like, I don't feel, I feel like, I don't feel like I deserve a medal for having family dinners or taking my kids anywhere. I don't like people say that to me, like, oh, you're such a good, like, I don't look at it like that at all. Like that's what I signed up for, why I wanted to have kids. You know, that's the reason why I did it. Build a family and um so it's just like it, to me that helps with my decision making. Like this is if I'm in the pecking order. Um and I've gotten good at saying no. You know, it's like an art form. How you say no is important too. So I don't feel like I need to give people a reason why my answer is no to certain things. I don't feel like I have to explain it. Um, I don't feel guilty about it anymore. Just, you know, and I, it doesn't mean I say no to, to everything, but I definitely got better at it. And now I, I like actually smile sometimes. I just freed up, my whole Thursday night got freed up because I didn't want to go to the dinner. I, I was able to say no, or maybe 20 years ago, I'd be like, oh God, I don't want to say no to these guys. I'm going to go. So before we finish today, I want to go ahead and ask some more open-ended questions. I call this part of my podcast, fill in the blank to excellence. Are you ready to play? I'm ready to answer. The biggest lesson I've learned in my life is. <laughs> oh, this is like, you got to be fast and sharp at this game. It's a tough game. <laughs> you can't be, you can't be morning after, after you had sake at a holiday party. <laughs> you know, we, we were actually ask them slow, ask these okay. questions really slow. I had, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I had Zaki you. last night and I'm, t I feel it on me. So I have to like, take whatever you're going to ask me, tone it down 10% on the speed dial. So I can answer it a little slower.
The biggest lesson I've learned in my life is marry the right person. My number one professional goal is create more time to do the things I love to do. My number one personal goal is Jesus, man. Uh, stay healthy. My biggest regret is I don't really have any regrets. The one thing I've dreamed of doing for a long time but haven't done is meeting Eminem. I'm sure you can make that happen, right? Marshall Mathers, I'm a Detroiter. He's on know. my list. Not only to I meet him, but I have him on my show. Yeah. I also want to meet Blondie. Interesting. Deborah Harry Blondie. I love Eminem, but I think Blondie's number one on my list. Deborah Harry Blondie? Yes, top three. I want to meet Blondie. She's just cool woman. The one physical goal that I want to conquer but haven't is uh huh. physical goal. I don't know. I've I've been able to check. I had a box of things I wanted to do. Rode my bike across the country, ran a hundred miles, did completed Ultraman. Uh, I haven't, there's nothing that strikes me that like, I don't think like that. Like I don't have like a, a when it comes to me, it comes to me, but I don't have anything like that. I really want to, I don't want to like climb Everest or there's nothing physical. I just want to, I know what it is. I take it all back. When I turn 90, I want to break all the ultra marathon records when I turn 90. Amazing. I want to be the 90-year-old record holder in all the major hard, challenging endurance races. You have a painting in your house that says everything is going to be fucking amazing. If somebody painted one to put next to it, what would it say? <laughs> Jeez. Uh... To go right next to the amazing sign? Right right next to everything's going to be fucking amazing. So far, so good. Love it. If you could go back in time, what's the one piece of advice you would give to your 21-year-old self? It's probably, oh, man. Business advice, I would probably say create something that's residual. Um person at 21 so you just always have residual money coming in and you could over time although i didn't go that route i think maybe i would do that make yourself irreplaceable at work if i was 21 business-wise if i was working for somebody um but like on a personal level i'd probably just go back to the bible as do as to others as you want others to do to you if you're president of the united states today what's the first thing you would do I'd never be president of the United States. It's like, Sounds like a horrible job, right? Yeah, I wouldn't do that. But I'd probably just put a sauna at the White House. <laughs> right on the big great lawn. The sauna, cold plunge. The White House 5K. The White House sauna-thon. Fruit, for new, fruit only at the White House for anybody who wants to join me. I'd be a, they, they wouldn't, I wouldn't get voted in. The one question you wish I'd asked you is? 
you did a pretty good job. You 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 pre practice what you preach, preparation. You're bringing up stories I haven't thought about in a long time. I appreciate you doing my show, Jesse. I've wanted you on for a very long time. As I mentioned, I, I heard you on this. It was a, a Zoomathon, for lack of a better word. And I was just blown away. I understand why you're one of the best, most highly sought after motivational speakers in the world. I think as an entrepreneur and as a human being, just what you do for to motivate people to follow your careers. And, and you've given a lot of unconventional advice. Um, for example, not surrounding yourself with like-minded people. I, I, you're the only person that I've heard say that ever. And I think it's very good advice, uh, especially the way you present it. And I think it's great. And I think it's also great what you do for your family and, and your kids and separating that. Cause I know a lot of very successful people who, who don't do that. So I'm a huge fan of yours. I hope you get to meet in person. Um, and I really appreciate you doing my show. Thank you so much. Absolutely, Randall. Thank you, man. I know we've been trying to do it for a while, so I'm glad we were able to connect. Yeah, Randy, that was great. Like, as I expected, you were super prepared. You're always one of the most prepared people that I know. So your preparation uh, is on brand. Appreciate you so much. 